stand and, and bless the offering for us this morning, please? Thank you. We're going to go ahead and let the kids go to their classes. Albie's going to be teaching. we got some awesome things going on. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, look at Man, there's a lot of kids. And we're going to jump into an awesome sermon, Leaving a Legacy by Pastor Ben. I love you guys.
to leave a legacy. Amen? Legacy is something we should uh, strive for and something we should live for. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, that's the first book in the Bible. Um, we're going to look at... Genesis chapter 50, talking about the life of Joseph. Uh, Joseph is a story in Scripture that we learn uh, in the first book of the Bible. It speaks of him uh, a lot. If you can go from, I think, chapter 38 through verse 50, there's about 12 chapters dealing with Joseph's life. We're just going to look at the last uh, few verses here of Joseph. Genesis chapter 50, beginning verse 15. Let's stand as we read. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and will actually repay us for the evil which we did to him. So they went, they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus shall you say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespasses of the servants of God, your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, what are we? We are your servants. Verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for, I am, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is to this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore do not be afraid, I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the legacy of many generations and times past. Lord, we thank you for all their contributions to society. God, we pray today, Lord, that you would just inspire something within us, awaken something within us, Allow us to dream, to be people of vision, of clarity, of intentional purpose in our lives. God, that we would live for you, for that building of your kingdom. That there will be a legacy of Jesus throughout the land of Lewis County and the surrounding regions. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. The story of Joseph is a, a story in the Bible that is very colorful, it's very traumatic in places, and it has a lot to speak to us today, I believe. So I just want to uh, glance, take a quick glance through uh, the story of Joseph to paint a picture for where God wants us to be today as far as uh, being people of legacy. Uh, Joseph, we begin the story that uh, Joseph's father began to have sons. He had 12 sons and all two of them was by the mother of Joseph and he had a brother named Benjamin uh, I like the name Benjamin because I'm kind of partial to it, that's my name uh, Benjamin, it means the son of your right hand to the father so Benjamin's brother Joseph, uh, but Joseph was the one that the dad kind of had a, a, a liking to, he I'm sure he loved all of his sons, he cherished all of his sons, but Joseph was the one that he uh, took uh, special attention to and provided for, and we know in Scripture that Joseph's father uh, 
Jacob, he uh, made a coat of many colors and gave it to Joseph early on in his life that showed favor upon his son Joseph. And Joseph became a person, though, in his uh, preferred status that he was in, that he knew he had favor with his dad, that he would uh, take occasion to rat out his brothers or tell on his brothers. Uh, Leslie says all the time, snitches get stitches. You ever heard that? Snitches get stitches. Uh, so what happened to Joseph was he continued to do that to his brothers, and eventually uh, they become uh, angry with him, uh, actually enraged with him. And one time his father sent Joseph to go check on his brothers because they was out uh, taking care of the sheep in another place, another region. As Joseph walks up, they see their brother coming, and they said, here comes the dreamer. Here comes that dreamer, the son that thinks he's going to rise above us all. And they didn't like that very much, his dreams. Uh, even his father got on him once for dreaming too much. And sometimes we're around kids that's kind of dreamers. Their mind works in a little bit different ways, and, and there's kids at Bethesda like that. You'll talk to them, and they're just talking about stuff. And it's like, man, that's far-fetching. Far that's far-reaching. And uh, Braden's mind works like that. I can just uh, talking to him and hear him talk to Greg and stuff, and his mind just wanders. And, you know, it, if you could travel as many miles as his mind wanders in a day, I don't know how far that would be, but it would be a far-reaching uh, escapade, I'm sure. But uh, as Joseph does this, comes out to check on his brothers. His brothers didn't like him very much. They kind of mad at him. So they, they said, um, here comes the dreamer. And as they seen him coming, they grabbed him. They snatched him. And, and a couple of the brothers, they roughed him up a little bit. And they threw him in this pit. And as they threw him in this pit, this place, it was more like a, a, a dugout well or a cistern down in the ground. And I've watched a few movies uh, through the years on Joseph's life. There's a lot of movies on uh, YouTube and things. You can go there and check out movies to try to uh, depict uh, Joseph's life. Don't take every bit of it as, as truth. Uh, study them to see what lines up with Scripture and find and make sure. But one part I've seen in one movie was kind of sometimes it, it, it makes paints a picture for you that Joseph was down in that cistern, that well, and he was crying out to his brothers because his brothers was up on top of the hill. They were still taking care of the sheep and eating and different stuff. And in one movie I watched it showed him crying out, and he would, he would holler, Dear brothers, please get me out of this cistern. Please get me out of this well. Please get me out of here. Why are you doing me this way? And he was crying out, and in the middle of the night, his brothers were trying to sleep. They would lay down and sleep, and his voice was crying out, Please get me out of here. It's dark in here. It's moist. It's wet in here. I, I'm cold. I'm shivering. Get me out of here. And his brothers had to hear that voice crying. And I, the Bible doesn't really say that, but I, I think that that is a picture of probably what would have happened. We all want out of the position we get ourselves into sometimes. Sometimes when we pay a price for some of our former actions, we don't like it very much and we cry out for help. But what the thing is, are those on the outside, are they going to help us or are they going to keep us in the place that we deserve? So what are we to do as Christians, as, as people of, of faith that believe in Jesus and believe that Jesus has changed us and rearranging our life? Do we help people that we see things happening to that they deserve? Or do, do, do we just leave them in the pit? So one of the brothers got to feeling guilty, and he went to the rest of them. He's like, why do we leave him in here? Why is this going on? Why don't we just go ahead and help him back out? Let's, let's not kill our brother. The other ones, they get in a big squabble, a big fight, and next thing you know, an opportunity comes to pass. There's some traders, some slave traders that comes uh, through, and they're on camel. They're coming through the, the middle of that desert, and as they're coming through, the brothers look, and they say, look, why don't we not kill him and just sell him into slavery? That sounds like a perfectly good 
logical excuse or thing to do, right? Just take your brother. I wasn't going to kill him. Now I ain't going to kill him. Now he's crying too much. So I'm going to sell him as a slave. That'd be even better. So they get their brother out, Joseph, and they put him, uh, they sell him into slavery with this group going through. And we know the story that, that in, in Genesis that later on they go down into Egypt and that company, uh, the slave traders go down in and Potiphar sees Joseph. And he looks at him, a, a big a strapping uh, young lad that he sees potential in. He says, like, I can, I, can, uh, I can see me gaining from this young individual. And they take Jake. Uh, Joseph and they, they, Potiphar buys him and he takes him in his house and as he takes him in his house he, he begins to see and recognize uh, Potiphar does that Joseph has potential can I tell you today that there's potential in a lot of individuals but we shouldn't have servants amen we shouldn't have slaves in studying American history you'll go back and see that there was, there was churches that were preaching that it was good for society to have slaves in America. About 160 years ago, in pulpits in America, preachers preaching that slavery was good for society, and it was biblical. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how the people can come up with mindsets out of Scripture? to make it line up with whatever they want. But really, slavery is taking advantage of somebody, and that should never be okay. Amen? So as Joseph's down in there, he's a slave to Potiphar. Potiphar begins to recognize there is, there is promise in this guy, that, that, that there is a, there's something special about him. And, and you, by this time, he, he had lost his coat of many collars. It wasn't like there was an external thing that was showing that he had favor. But I can tell you something today. If you have the favor of God on your life, the promise of God on your life, the blessing of God on your life, and the calling of God on your life, nobody can take that way. It's not external. It's not what kind of coat you wear. It's why, as a preacher, some people, I remember one time that they told me that I needed to wear a tie to be a pastor in Lewis County. I don't believe that. I don't find that in Scripture. The Bible says to dress modest. Amen. I believe we should dress modest, but I don't believe there's any certain pre prescribed method that we should uh, use in, in, in our dressing to say that I'm a Christian. My Christianity should be my actions, not my, my, not my dress code. Can somebody say amen? It's the truth. So as, as Joseph, he's not going by his dress code. He's going by the calling. And Potiphar recognized this. There's a calling on this, this kid. There's promise. There's potential. There's a blessing there. And he raises him up, and he begins to allow Joseph to take over different aspects of his, of his uh, household and different things. He had a lot of servants. Potiphar was a rich man. He was in cahoots with the government, with Pharaoh. And as he, he, he begins to raise Joseph up, Joseph comes into, into second in command to all of Potiphar's house. He, he, he takes care of everything. He's good with numbers. If you wanted to call him, he would be his CPA. He would be his personal accountant. So Potiphar has this guy, and he's, he's taking care of all of his assets. He's, he's taking care of everything. But then Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph with the wrong kind of eye one day and says wow he's kind of cute <laughs> she calls Joseph over and she says come over here and Potiphar was gone she's like here lay with me and the Bible tells about this and, and here lay with me and, 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 and Joseph's like no 
the, the God of my father, the God that's inside of me that tells me how to live and a conscience that I've got to live with says no, that this is not right. I can't live with my master's wife. I can't sleep with my master's wife. And he, he says no and as he tries to get away from her, she grabs his coat, his cloak, and pulls it off of him and he runs away. So when Potiphar returns home, Joseph is there still doing what he's supposed to be doing. But Potiphar's wife makes up this lie and says, now, Potiphar, here's what happened because she's mad because Joseph wouldn't do what she said. So she throws Potiphar, tells Potiphar, here's the cloak. Here's proof. Joseph came in and tried to rape me. Potiphar gets mad. He's, 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 he's just distraught about this, this servant of his that he's given the power over all of his house. And now he is going to take and, and, and try to rape his wife. And he, he throws him in jail. Joseph ends up in jail. And here's this thing about Joseph. It doesn't matter what his circumstances are. He's not worried about the circumstances. He keeps believing internally that God's got a plan. Can I tell you today what you need to do in your life or what we all need to do in our life is not worry about the circumstances that we're going through. Amen. We need to worry about what is God's plan in my life. And if I'm going to have a legacy, I've got to have the legacy that aligns with God's prescription in my life. If I'm going to leave any sort of legacy on this planet, if anybody is ever going to remember Ben Collier's name, it has to be something through God. So as Potiphar throws him in jail, and, and, and Joseph's down there in the middle of the jail, and what do you know? He begins to take care of some things, and, and the jailer begins to take uh, pleasure in Joseph and says, here, you take care of this and do this, and he's, he's taking care of things in jail. He's in prison, but he's still believing God can do things here. So Joseph just does what he always does, takes care of business. As he does this, there's two of the Pharaoh's guys he throws into prison. So here, now Joseph's in, in prison with these two guys from the king, basically, Pharaoh. Who was it? The cupbearer and the, and the baker. So here they're in here with Joseph. They, they both have these dreams, and they go to Joseph, and they say, I had this dream, and, and, and I hear that you can, you, can, you can tell what dreams mean. You've got a, your interpreter. So Joseph, he goes and gets this and tells this baker what his dream means, and he, he tells the cupbearer what his dream means, and he says, you're going to end up, he tells one of them, you're going to end up back in front of Pharaoh, and whenever you do, whenever you end up back in front of Pharaoh, Remember me. Here's a principle we need to learn from Joseph. What if other people get advancement that you don't get when you're actually the one with the calling, with the blessing, with the promise? What if they get advanced before you? What if it's a job site that we're on and we think I'm, I should be the next one that's in line to be the foreman or the, or the mod leader or the, or the whatever, wherever you work, whatever the title is. Maybe they're a supervisor. I don't know what title they use. Maybe you feel like you should have been next. But God allows us to get to the point in our life where we say, hey, when you make it, remember me. There's nothing wrong with telling other people, remember me. This is a principle in God's scripture that lets us see this picture. If we want to follow and leave a legacy like Joseph led, we need to do the things he did. Sometimes other people can pull you out of a mess that you can't pull yourself out of. Somebody say amen.
Sometimes you've got to have external help that somebody else is going to get advanced first, and you need to say, because you're getting advanced, remember me. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I think it's quite biblical. So here Joseph tells us, and then when the guy goes back up and ends up back in front of Pharaoh, and he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh's having all his dreams, and it's mad. It's just like he's uh, perplexed with these things going on. He's got these visions and these dreams, and he's like, and he hires all this staff. Pharaoh is like the president of the United States. He's got all these people working for him. He's got this whole department that is nothing but dream interpreters. And as he's sitting there with all these dream interpreters, he tells them, okay, I'm having this dream. I've got seven fat cows and seven skinny cows. And he tells them the little story. And the, and the interpreter's like, I don't understand what that means. They're on paid staff to do a job, and they don't know what they're doing. But the cupbearer comes up and he tells the king, he says, look, king, when I was in prison, when I was in jail, I remember a guy that interpreted a dream, and everything he said has come to pass. He's a dream interpreter. Pharaoh's like, go get him. Go get him right now. And next thing you know, they clean Joseph up. They bring Joseph up out of the prison. Now the guy, his path is forward. He comes up out of the prison, and he tells Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream. Joseph goes away. He, he gets the interpretation from God. He comes back to Pharaoh, and he says, Look, the seven fat cows are seven cows representing seven years of plenty. It's a time of great resources. And then he says, But after those seven years of plenty, there's going to be seven years of famine. That's the seven skinny cows. And he says, what God is telling you to do, Pharaoh, is this, that you are to tax the people of the nation of Egypt during these seven years of plenty at 20%. 20%. Pharaoh says, well, who am I going to get to run all this for me? And God puts it in his mind, use Joseph. Place of blessing into a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery, back into a slavery situation with his master, ends up raising up in that house, back into the prison again, and here he comes back out of the prison one more time. Just like our lives. It's a mountain and a valley, and a mountain and a valley. I can attest to you today that in Christianity, you're going to have good times, and you're going to have bad times. And the thing is, do we store up during the good enough to hold me over through the bad? It's like this. In American history, let's go back 100 years. In legacy, a lot of times I always preach like this to say, what is people going to remember you 100 years from now? It took me about six months to find my great-great-grandfather's name because nobody knew his name. Because he died, blew up in a bulwark explosion, nobody knew his name in my family until I found it and that was just a hundred years ago he died in 1912 but let's go through American history just for a moment let's back up a hundred years from right now 2017 let's back up 1917 what's going on in America Woodrow Wilson gets reelected he's the president of the United States he ran on a campaign slogan Wilson kept us out of the war that was his little badge that was his campaign promise Wilson kept us out of the war he wins in November. What happens in January at the inauguration? Takes us to World War I. Straight into World War I. Campaign promise broken on day one. He breaks the promise. Then here in 1917, and then we we'll get through this war two or three years, and we come through it, and it becomes like 1920. Has anybody ever heard what the term they use in history class? There's some history buffs in here. I know Darren and probably Greg would know, and maybe others. 
Uh, anybody know anything that they uh, say about the 1920s? The Roaring Twenties. That's what they call them, the Roaring Twenties. That there was so much plenty in the 20s. People were just living lavish lifestyles. It was the days of prohibition when they done away with alcohol and the hand of God, the favor of God was on America. I mean, the stock market was going through the roof. Everybody, industrial people was just growing and building businesses and everything else. And the Roaring Twenties are happening. And when people live in the roaring type of environment, when things are going really well, what do they do with that? Most people just squander it, right? Most people just live lavish lifestyles. But there were some that saved up a little. The principle in the Bible here with our story to leave a legacy is you save up during the good times to take care of the bad times. Amen? Joseph said save 20%. And maybe it don't have to be taxes. Maybe it's just something, a principle that you can learn from Scripture. How many knows God's Word is truth? Amen. It can help you. It'll sustain you. It'll get you through the hard times in life. So in American culture, the roaring 20s are happening. Then in 1929, when the, when the stock market fell in one day, and they call it, what is it, Black Thursday, Black Friday, something like that, Black Thursday, I think it was, that it fell, that the stock market crashed at such a level, everybody began to get scared and concerned, and as they, they, they were so afraid of what was going on and happening, it comes the time that we know in America as the Great Depression. So 10 years of blessing, fat cows, then guess what comes after that? 10 years of some very scrawny, skinny cows. And during this Great Depression moment, it's hard times. It's bad times. And there's a lot of things goes on. And actually, it, up in the, uh, I think it was in, uh, what's the state? Oh, Oregon is where this began out in the state of Oregon that there were some World War I veterans that was promised that if they would fight in World War I that they was guaranteed an army bonus, that they was guaranteed to, that the American government would give them aid. This was before VA. There was no VA. There was no Veterans Affairs. These World War I veterans were promised, if you fight during the war, we will pay you as an American government. So when the Great Depression happens, it's, it's like 1934 now. It's five years into it. I mean, it's pure famine. And as the World War I veterans, they begin to say, well, why don't we get our payment? Why don't we get what we have promised by the American government? They begin to come across to America. And as they come across to America, they get to and just growing in numbers, and it begins to be a big group of people. And they, they march up on Washington, D.C., and the, all the legislators, they locked themselves in, the Congress and the Senate. And they, they was hiding out because they was afraid of the people, these warriors. And as they come upon there, and it stays like the first and second day and third day, and, and they're out there and they're telling them, we can't help you. We, we're, not, we're not able to do anything. The American government's broke. It's bad times. What if the American government would figure out that we need to save up money during the good times to take care of the bad times? Amen? Wouldn't that be something? So the American government couldn't pay the promises that they have already promised. It's bad times. Some of the veterans begin to get distraught, and, and I don't know about you, but if I was an American congressman or a senator and never really done anything much in life other than being a politician, I'd be afraid of some warriors. Amen? There's some godly wisdom in fear. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? They begin to get scared of these politicians. They're like, okay, and they got MacArthur and took him out with the Army, with the National Guard, and they told him, get the veterans and get them out of here. They're not allowed in Washington, D.C. They had set up tents. It's called tent cities. They set up these tents, and they was like, just get them out of here. They're not allowed to stay. They're not allowed to have tents on national, national grounds. 
And as they go out there, winds up that the National Guard shoots and kills some of these World War I veterans because they was there asking for money. This is truth. You can fact check it all you want. How do we treat our veterans that we promised something because we didn't save, we didn't plan, we didn't budget? They shoot them to get rid of them. At the same time, a big dust storm is roaring out west. All through the Midwest, Kansas, Oklahoma, all those big farmlands all out west. It's called the Dust Bowl. It's a drought. There's no food. How many knows that's bad times whenever your stock market crashes and your field won't produce any harvest? It's bad times. You can't even live off the land then. So this begins to happen. And the Dust Bowl happens, and all these congressmen and senators up there, they're like, we're just living in our big houses, doing what we've always done, and we're just going to get through this, and we'll be just fine. And they don't worry about everybody else. And they think it's a, a joke. There's a, there's a agriculture commissioner. He comes and tells them and gives them plans of how to do it and finance and make things happen to, to, to stop this Dust Bowl, to irrigation and how, how to go about it. And they say, no, we're not doing that. We're not making that investment. Next thing you know, as they're saying no, literally, the storm had rose to such a level, it took off some places two to three feet of dirt in Oklahoma. The dust bowl, the wind had blown that much topsoil away. And the cloud got so big as it come east that it got all the way over Washington, D.C., and the day they was voting no, it landed on the steps of the Congress. Dust from Oklahoma. Some places was three miles high of a dust cloud. It completely blacked out the sun. It's a famine. It's bad times. But the thing is, we can't depend on government. <laughs> Amen? I love government. I love law. I love organization. I love structure. But what are you going to do in the middle of that? I'm sure that a lot of people got through by praying. Amen? That prayed, that sought God. And I t I'm telling you right now that God can cause a crop to grow in the middle of a drought if we believe Him. The Bible says if we got faith the size of a grain of mustard seed and speak to a mountain, the mountain's got to move. And if He can move mountains for us, He can definitely make a crop grow. And there's stories and stories about that of Christians that prayed through the depression, that lived it, and they come out living. A lot of things started to make that happen. It's principles, though. Are we saving today? What if in America we're 100 years later from that roaring 20s? What if we started right now? Our stock market just took off like unbelievable rate. What if we're beginning the 1920s all over again and we're coming into the roaring 20s, but it's the roaring teens? What if from today we got about seven years to plan for the seven badges to follow. What are we going to do? A legacy is a person that is able to make it through the storms to survive, to be the person of legacy that creates an atmosphere for God to be able to do great things. Joseph lived that life, no matter if he's in prison, no matter if he's in a cistern, no matter if he's what, where he's at. Feast or famine, he was always Joseph. If you want to be a person of legacy, a man or woman of legacy today, I'm telling you the way to do it is be steadfast, unmovable, 
unshakable, always abounding in the truth, the scripture tells us. If we will be that type of personality that has a, a character within us that is a godly character that says, I will be a godlike Christian no matter what the external says, no matter what the circumstances say, no matter what Potiphar's wife says, no matter what's going on in my life in circumstances, I'm going to be a godly person. We will be and leave a legacy unlike the world has never saw. Let's see, there's a picture. Put it up for me. Anybody know who that is? Mona Lisa lost her smile. Painter's hands are trembling now. I love that version of the song. Who wrote, who, who, who designed that? Greg, you're the artist. Guru, who? Nope. Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci. How I said Leonardo DiCaprio this morning down at Vanceburg. <laughs> I don't think he's alive back in 1500, but either way. Um, so Leonardo da Vinci draws this, and there's a lot of work goes in. If you're an artist back then, it wasn't like you, you don't go to Walmart to the craft section, hey, Albie, hook me up with some paint, you know, or give me a piece of canvas that I can draw on. He had a lot of work went into this. And, and he set the stage because talking about legacy is somebody that creates something that st sets the standard for the future. And I'm sure Greg, whenever he took art classes in college, it probably had to study this picture. You've probably looked at it more than what, probably what you want. But as you see, this kind of sets the standard for future portraits to be from the waist up. And, and usually there's got to be a certain amount of sky and a certain amount of land and all that stuff that's a, a percentage type thing that they break down and say, this is a, for a good photograph. And sometimes I've clicked a, and got a good picture. You know, I can just take and do that. And, well, not of me. I'm talking about the other way. I know you was always like, he's taking a selfie. Well, I could do that too. My dad took a selfie back in the 80s. I wish I'd got it and put a picture up here. My sister knows the picture. We all in our family know what that picture is. That my dad, he, he had one of those cameras that would shoot out the picture. What are they called? The Polaroid. So he, he held it out and he had a cigarette in his mouth and the cat bill turned up and he looked at it. This is back in the 80s. He like, and it come out and he was probably the first. Uh, selfie ever. It wasn't even a selfie yet, but he, he took that picture. So my dad took the first selfie. Um, but now we've got this picture. What are you doing, Liam? Huh? What are you doing? Now we've got this capability. Leonardo da Vinci, had, or yeah, da Vinci, had to go through all that effort to paint that picture. And to get that blue I mean, you had to go get some shell. You had to go get some stuff and mix it up and water and put all these different... These pigment things that he's got going on here was a lot of work for every individual caller. It wasn't just taking a picture. There's a lot of effort went into this. But he left a legacy of this is what a portrait is. He had no intention. I don't think Leonardo da Vinci, when he drew this drawing, he, he had no potential or no foresight to say that this is going to be the picture that is the number one photograph in the world for the next 500 years. And that's, we're 500 years out right now. And it's still the most recognizable picture on the planet. Mona Lisa. That's a legacy. Sometimes it happens when we don't even realize it. Sometimes we're just drawing a picture. They don't even know who the girl is. There's a lot of skeptics and a lot of different things, and some people say it's him drawing a picture with his hair. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of theories out there. They don't even know who she is other than Mona Lisa. It's crazy, right, that legacy is made sometimes on accident. What if our life could be a life where that something we did set the precedence for future? 
What if it changed the world? What if it could? What if there's potential in here as somebody in this room today or within Bethesda as a, as a group, as a church that has the potential to unlock future generations of blessings? I love art, don't you? I love looking at art. Sometimes I've, I've got lucky and took a picture a few times with my phone and, and snapped a picture, and it was just the right person of sky and the right person of land, and, and the collars were all there. It's just like gorgeous, one of those type pictures. It's like, wow. I didn't have any effort in it compared to what he did. But it sets the standard for me to recognize that. That's legacy. But not only is that, I want you to go to the next slide. Leslie, if you'll go to the next one. Anybody know him? Nikola Tesla, died in 1943, born in 1956. I love his quote, I don't care that they stole my ideal, I care that they don't have any of their own. This guy's story I love, I, I, I love studying about Nikola Tesla. Grew up in Croatia, his dad was a missionary, uh, like a pastor type of role, his mom wanted him to go to uh, uh, seminary wanted him to get in the leadership of the church but Nikola Tesla as a young kid he was kind of uh, uh, frail kind of weak and he had long bouts with, with high fevers and different things going on and, and one time when he was a young kid I think it, it, one thing I read was he was 7 years old and had this really extremely high fever and in this extremely high fever he had this vision of a, of a wheel turning and then when this wheel turned that it caused an electric charge to happen and when that electric charge happened it, and it, it, it lit up he had this vision it's kind of crazy kind of off the wall and I'm sure when he woke up and like mom there's going to be a big wheel in the Niagara Falls and I'm going to light New York City with it really? that was the time when they was going around the churches and somebody had to go in and light all the coal lamps because there was no electric and he has this dream of using the Niagara Falls to turn a wheel to create power to light a city. Later on in life, he ends up going to college, and he, he, he's just extremely uh, intelligent and just a crazy amount of, of intellect and different things. And, and it, as he begins to invent things, and, and he becomes known, kind of well-known, and next thing you know, he buys a ticket, and he ends up in New York City. When he comes to New York City, uh, one of the greats of the city, of the, of the world of that day, was Thomas Edison. He was a guy that was promoting DC electricity. He had all these little power plants. Dad's got a 1912. You can see it if you go up to Dad's birthday party here in a minute. You'll see it. He's got a 1912 DC powered 32 volt generator that still runs and operates. Thomas Edison was providing that and saying that General Electric, this is the way we got to go. This is the future, is DC current. But here we got Tesla that comes over and says, I think I can make AC work. Everybody's afraid of AC because they couldn't really understand it. There was no theory behind it. There was no logic of, of what makes it work. Tesla says to Edison, I think I can make it work. And Edison in jest says, okay, make that work. If you make me an AC motor, I'll give you $50,000. This was when a ditch digger in their day made $2 a day. That'd be like millions in today's terms. So whenever this happens, Tesla gets this, and he, he begins to think about it, ponder about it, and he's working for Edison in, work, in Edison's invention lab, and he, and he actually comes up with this four-pole system of an AC motor, a rotary, spinning wheel, and all this, and he gets this motor, and it runs. And he gets the patent on it. 
And Edison, he goes to Edison like, I got it. Here it is. It actually works. And Edison's like, cool, that's awesome. Where's the patent? He gets, here's the patent. Because Edison knew all the people that could make it work through the patents and all that stuff. And Tesla's like, where's my $50,000? And Edison looks at him and says, oh, in America, we joke like that. If, if you can do something for it, I'll give you a million dollars. Be like me inviting somebody to church and, or somebody inviting somebody to church. Be like, yeah, if you can get them to come with you next week, I'll give you a million dollars. Just in jest. We say it like that, right? I don't know if Edison was joking or not. It's kind of cruel when the guy actually makes something that's not made. An inventor, right? It doesn't pay him. Tesla gets mad. He quits. He walks away. He's like, I quit. I'm not working for a cheater. I'm not working for a crook. He walks away. He quits. He goes out and he's literally digging ditches, putting in power lines for DC current. You study this, I'm telling you. He's digging this. Talking about legacy. What are we going to do? Keep on digging. He's out there digging ditches. Next thing you know, there's this other guy that's in invention and different uh, things, and he's growing in America. His name's Westinghouse. Westinghouse finds up, hey, I got a guy working for me that's an inventor from Croatia, and he's really smart, and they're telling me that he can do some things because he got Edison, that AC motor, and he can really help me out. Westinghouse hires him. You know what his project is? creating a big wheel out in the middle of the Niagara Falls that'll turn and be a generation station for AC current to light New York City. A seven-year-old dream become a reality. And he did it. It's the first power generation station off of water, just like we've got the Green Dam up here today. Tesla made that all about. Weston House rips him off over a few patents. He quits him. His invention lab he created on his own ends up burning down. Nikola Tesla dies in 1943. Alone. You don't have a wife, don't have any kids, don't have anybody. In New York City, dies alone. With not two pennies to rub together. And invented we can brag on Steve Jobs we can brag on Bill Gates they're nothing they're peanuts compared to this guy Bill Gates and Steve Jobs are people that ripped other people off you can go back and study them too right right place the right time he died alone but he's the one that did it that's a legacy legacy isn't how much you acquire or possess yourself it's how much do you do for others isn't that awesome? To think about Joseph made a way for Jesus to be born. You go back and study the lineage in Matthew chapter 1. It'll tell you Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez. There's no Joseph in the lineage of Jesus. But if Judah would have died in a famine in Egypt, there would be no Jesus. It was promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there would be a seed come from the woman whose, whose heel would stomp the, the head of the serpent, right? The messianic, first messianic promise was that there would be a lineage to happen. Joseph wasn't in that lineage, but he allowed it to happen. He made a way for it to happen.
what's the legacy that we are to talk about here today if we're going to leave a future generation of people that know Jesus if we're a conduit amen if we're just used by God what if it is somebody else becomes famous think I'm cool about Nikola Tesla he was the first one to do remote control the first remote control object to ever build he built a little boat and actually used a radio synchro wave to make the boat turn and go and dumbfounded people in New York City first wireless connection he invented x-ray Donna Donna makes a living in x-ray and in different things up there at the hospital but died penniless what kind of legacy are we going to leave and sure I want to save money sure I want us to get through the famines but it isn't about that it's about is Jesus going to be available because of something I did hopefully someday down in the future maybe a hundred years from now when there's still a Kentucky Heights campus that somebody will look back and say who was it the pastor of the church that took the no trespassing sign off the door and got the electric turned back on amen and it wasn't just me because I can tell you whenever we come up here and work we work for a month solid every day Ernie painted the floor down there I remember him painting the basement rolling that's when he was still working up at the railroad working the railroad and come down here in the evenings and on the weekend painting rolling the floor I remember Amy and Jason come down laying this cross in the foyer they didn't even go to church here because we stopped and bought donuts off of them they was like maybe they'll buy them more donuts I don't know what their prerogative was <laughs> But they came. And I remember the look on Amy's face that first night whenever they were sitting there, and we were still working on the Saturday night leading up to the Sunday morning service, and we were sitting in here on that Saturday night, and Leslie and them got up here, Dusty got up here to play music, to practice. And her face lit up like, what kind of church music is that? And there's a lot of others. I mean, there's just so many others. You can't name everybody. Everybody worked so hard to make this happen. That's our legacy. This is us. Let's if you'll come play, I'll shut up. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? I want you to play that second song. I've seen one uh, verse of it that's kind of cool. I want you guys to come up to Greg and Donna and, and Dusty. Where's Dusty at? See. Right, Darren, you can play. You can play drums. This song says that God will be faithful to the end. The only way to have a legacy is for allow God to be faithful in your life. It's the decision we have to make. Do I want to serve God? And Jesus even said, you can serve God or serve mammon. Mammon is stuff. And I can tell you right now that stuff don't make me happy. Amen. I've bought stuff. You can go buy a new car and you get that big uh, endorphins just go through your body. It's like, oh, I got a new car. Six months later, it's like, eh, that's just an old car. Amen. Stuff is not worth serving. But I can tell you one thing. In October of 1999, when I knelt down on my knees and gave God my life, 
that there has been a steady, ongoing life transformation happening in Ben Collier that allows me to know that there is a legacy going to be here. I could have been like my great-grandpa not even been known 100 years from now. Amen? I want to leave a legacy of Jesus. That's what I want to leave. Won't you stand, if you will? Amen. Is that your prayer today? That all of your life, that God's love would prove true and remain true. Won't you just bow your head and close your eyes? Is there anybody here that would say, Pastor Ben, that's me? I want to be a person that leaves a legacy. Not about me, but about Jesus. I want there to be a legacy for future generations to know Jesus because of some things I've done. Is there anybody here to lift your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Ben? I want to leave that legacy. Amen. Amen. I know it's possible. I know it's possible. Won't everybody here just pray this prayer with me? Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you, forgive my sins. Forgive my faults. Forgive my failures. Help me to be a person of integrity, just like Joseph, that I'll live through the trials and I'll be an overcomer because of your word, because of your promise, because of your blessing, and because of your calling. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.